Hello, this is Mark Richter with another episode of Linux for the Layman. Want to feel safe, secure, and capable when using your computer? This is for you if you want to succeed and know you can handle your computer tasks with ease. Welcome to episode 11 of Linux for the Layman, The Joy of Computing. Today I'm going to talk about the keyboard and the mouse. I thought maybe you'd find it interesting, a little bit of what we use each one for, why things are done the way they are, and maybe why I do some of the things I do that lead me to preferring one over the other. I'll talk about that in a minute. In order to understand the full use of computers with keyboard and mouse, you have to go back a few years because the graphics user interface has been around and pretty much dominant in computing in the world today since about 30 years ago. That was when Windows began to make a big splash in the world and pretty much took over most of the consumer desktop computers. Now there are other fields of computing where keyboards still reign supreme and sometimes mice aren't even allowed. Not the real ones, but the mechanical ones that we use to move a point around on the screen for graphics objects manipulation. The reason for that, I postulate, is that before there was a mouse, the keyboard was the primary interface to the computer. Before that, it was a key punch or a paper tape, and the keyboard was a huge advance for convenience in being able to talk to the computer, give it instructions, and get feedback. And the monitor with a text-based interface would receive and echo back what you typed in on the keyboard, and then after you typed in your command, whatever program you were running with that command would present the output on the screen. This remains the case today for several reasons. One, in case you hadn't noticed it, you probably cannot boot your computer without a keyboard attached. Now, that's not entirely true if you're dealing with a headless server. If you do have a server that you're managing, the primary interface to it, I will bet, is the keyboard and not the mouse and not the graphics interface. A lot of servers don't even have support for the graphics interface. There are Linux desktops that you can install without the graphic user interface. One in particular that stands out to me is the Red Hat Enterprise Linux or any of the enterprise Linux distributions that are designed for servers to use. With Red Hat, the desktop is an option. You can skip altogether and just have a minimal installation that will do what the server does and you add only exactly the things you need so you can maximize the security on the server and you can still provide the service the server provides. For most of us, that's not really an issue because we don't have servers. Most of us have a laptop or a desktop or even a notebook computer. I'm going to focus on laptops and desktops because they are still more common, although with notepads running around like iPads and Android tablets, 
they're becoming more ubiquitous. Cell phones are along those lines, though. Again, the power of your device depends on, to some extent, how large it is and how much hardware you put into it. But you can have a perfectly adequate computer by just using your cell phone if you just want to use that type of interface. In general, the keyboard is a valuable companion to your computer because you can input data very quickly on it by typing it in. Say you want to write a document. How are you going to write a document? You're going to use the on-screen keyboard with your mouse to click around and enter the text, or are you going to use the actual keyboard? Now, I apologize in advance for anyone who may be physically impaired in terms of using the keyboard. I am not as yet, although my fingers don't always behave, but generally the worst they do is either miss a keystroke or repeat a keystroke, and I get strange typos like TYYPO instead of TYPO. The keyboard is, in my opinion, the best way to input textual data. It's the best way to write a program. You type a program into a an editor, not a document processor, and then you can go back and forth between the editor and your compiler to find out how your program runs. Now, if you're in an integrated development environment like Visual Studio or the equivalents that run on Linux, and there are several, it's a slightly different story but the mouse is used to do certain types of management functions. It doesn't write your program for you. That's what you do on the keyboard. I also use the keyboard for a lot of mouse-like functions. Typically, when I'm writing a document, I can use the mouse to activate certain of the menu options just as easily or sometimes even more easily than I can with the mouse. For example, if I want to open a file, I can use the mouse, find it on the screen, move it up to the file, open, and then enter the name of the document I want to open. Or most word processors have an open file link on your toolbar so you can open a file with one click of the mouse. And that does make a lot of things easier. And there are a lot of shortcuts that have been added with the menu bars to let you do things with the mouse that otherwise you used to have to do by going through the menu bar and click on file and then one of the options and possibly one of the other options and sometimes several layers deep. There are also shortcuts that have been built into menu bars for using the keyboard to do these things. For example, I use LibreOffice on my Linux machines, and if I want to manipulate a spreadsheet, I'll open it with LibreOffice Calc, which is the spreadsheet program, and I'll enter my data. Frequently, at times, I have to insert a row or delete a row or insert a column or delete a column. In LibreOffice, that's three mouse click operations. One to click on the sheet menu, one to click on rows, and then insert above or below. And to delete a row or a column, it's similar. I don't like to use the mouse that much. For one thing, that can 
make it really easy for me to lose my place in where I am in the spreadsheet, especially if I'm in the middle of a bunch of stuff and I don't want to forget where I am. Also, sometimes I just don't want to use the mouse. So I have certain keystroke commands set up. If I type control, the control key and the insert key, so control insert, that will insert a row for me above the row I'm on. If I want to insert a column before, which is to the left of a column I have on the screen, my shortcut for that is control shift insert. That's a few of the ways I like to use the keyboard. There are several pre-programmed keyboard shortcuts in LibreOffice, in the writer and all the other apps that are in the Office suite, but also in a great many Linux distributions, particularly the ones that are based on Ubuntu. There are pre-assigned keystroke combinations that you can use for certain types of shortcuts. The most common ones are Alt-F4 to terminate an application, Alt-F7 to move a window around on the screen using the arrow keys, and Alt-F8 to change the size of a window on the screen with the arrow keys. Now I'm not saying that you have to go out and memorize a whole bunch of new keystroke combinations that you didn't have any idea were there before just for the convenience of using them. No. What I am suggesting is you could experiment with these, find the ones you like, and use them if you find them more convenient than having to, for example, move the mouse cursor up to the little red X in the upper right corner of your window to close it, where Alt-F4 will do the same thing for you, in most cases. There are certain conventions that have been ingrained in computer use for a long time, and these are among them. I tend to define new keystroke combinations to activate certain specific applications that I know I want to use where I don't want to go and click on the menu button and click through to the right menu and click on the right place to start it. For example, I have a keystroke combination that I've told the system to recognize for starting up Zoom. I use Control shift alt z and it fires up the Zoom graphics application no matter what I'm doing or what I'm in the middle of. And then I can go back to what I was doing that I was in the middle of when I exit the application. Or I can just change windows and, and do the same thing. Uh, another convenient keystroke combination that is extremely common is Alt-Tab. Alt-Tab lets you shift between active windows on your screen. The difference between using Alt-Tab and using the mouse is that with the mouse sometimes you have to look for where is that app? Which entry on my panel contains the shortcut where that app was running that I minimized when I was doing something before and I want to bring it back to life? You can use the Alt-Tab key to shift through the windows and it will show you a little icon of each one on the screen until you find the one you want and then you'd stop and you're switched into that application. Now a lot of this is not exclusive to Linux. Windows was doing a great many of these things and still does. They're just some of the built-in features of Linux that I enjoy. Another business with the keyboard that I'd like to point out is that a lot of the newer keyboards and the gaming keyboards in particular have media controls on them. So you can turn volume up and down just by 
touching a key or sliding a knob on the keyboard, you don't have to take the mouse away from where you're going. Click on the speaker icon in your notification area and then adjust the volume there. And actually in Ubuntu, what you get when you click on the speaker icon is only a small subset of what's available. Now there are times when the keyboard is not as useful as the mouse. For example, suppose I'm typing in a terminal window and I've just typed in a long file name and I want to reuse that file name for a pattern search. And there are ways I can do that using the keyboard but it actually is more convenient typically for me to select that section of text using the mouse and then copy it to the clipboard and then I can use it again. Another handy way that I can have the keyboard prove that it's extremely valuable to me is to use it in the method that I mentioned in the last episode where I was talking about shell abbreviations. The Linux shell, typically bash on your machine, has three ways that you can create new commands that are shortcuts for typical forms of commands that you want to use. The first one is called aliases. An alias is where you define some word that you recognize as an abbreviation for a command with a set of options. When you execute shell commands, they have frequently, they have options and they have parameters and if you know you're going to be using the exact same set of options for that command a lot of times, you can define an alias that presets those options the way you want to use them most of the time. I made an allusion to the rsync command, which is a really interesting backup command. It was designed originally to do remote synchronization between files. And what that means is you copy a certain group of files from one place to another remotely, as in on another machine, but the rsync command knows not to copy over commands that it's already copied over. So it does a little bit of talking with another version of itself on the other machine before it actually executes anything. It turns out you can also use that to copy files locally on your existing machine. It doesn't have to be a remote synchronization, it can be a local synchronization. And there are certain options with the rsync command which has a bewildering complex array of options but there are certain ones that I know for a fact I want and you can find them fairly easily if you wade through the man page. I have the alias that says use these options anytime I'm copying files. So copy the files from here to there with those options built in and it works automatically. And it's a short alias. I don't have to type in 50 or 60 characters to include all the options. They're all built into this one alias. There are also shell functions which you can define that are a little more powerful than aliases because you can do parameter interpretation inside a function, something that aliases are not really good at. Parameter is, say you want to copy file A to directory C file B. But parameters to the copy command are file A, the file you want to copy, 
and directory C file B the destination where you want the file copied. You can manipulate the parameters using some of the built-in shell functions to access them in a particular order, which may not be the order you type them in, but they're the way you want to have them typed in. And I just realized how completely esoteric this is sounding. I'm going to do another episode on shell constructs. Actually, I'm going to do a whole bunch of episodes on them because there are a lot and they're not the easiest to understand. Just from talking, I'll guide you through some defining an alias, defining a function, things like that. The third option to extend this even further is to write a shell script, which is where you write a text file that contains a sequence of shell commands that you want executed in a particular way, and then you can always use that script to execute those commands in that way. I have mentioned this before, but I have actually I have a whole series of backup shell scripts for backing up certain specific types of things in a particular way so that I don't have to think about typing in every one of those commands every time. They're shortcuts and if I want to know how I did something I can always look it up because the commands are right there in the script. A lot of this is pushing the terminal interface because I use the terminal interface a lot. I've been around long enough to know that it is powerful and valuable. And it's a good thing to know how to use because occasionally you won't be able to use your mouse. Say the battery dies and you don't have any handy, but you got to get something done. I hope you found this episode valuable. I hope you found it educational. If you liked it, please tell your friends about it. Share it with your friends. There's no charge. Feel free to donate. That'll help me keep going. And if you have any questions, feel absolutely free to email me with your question. If I think it's a question that others will find valuable, I'll do an episode to cover the topic. There's no fee. Although I do appreciate your support, feel free to contribute. And do come back. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.